Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Paul and Andrew are here today with you. It is, well, technically it's May 31st, but yeah. you'll be hearing this on June 1st. Um, but first of all, just wanted to stop and say we just got done with Memorial Day weekend. So thank you very much to the veterans out there and everybody protecting our country and our freedoms um, and all that goes with that. We really appreciate that. And uh, what a wonderful weekend it was. It was. A lot of craziness in this world, man. But, but you know, you, you, you're thankful for the people that, uh, you know, serve, have served, are serving. Absolutely. You know, thankful for your family and, and just, just relax, mellow, and, and uh, you know, hopefully you listen to this podcast and just and just zone out, right. blinders on. So, first thing I want to talk about. Go for it. June 24th, 7 p.m. in Granville, Ohio. At the Granville Brew and Tap Room, we are going to have special guest Dustin Huff. Who you guys don't know who Dustin Huff is? He is the the dude from Indiana that shot the number the world record crossbow buck, the number one United States deer, typical whitetail ever harvested, and the number two overall behind the Milo Hansen buck in Canada. So, so months he's coming here. He's going to talk to us live. Last time we did this, we yeah, you we guys will experience much, yeah, you guys will experience what happened last time. But so so Dustin is a singer songwriter. He he's he's tied in with um, with those a bunch of those guys down in Nashville. He's a hell of a singer, hell of a songwriter. He's bringing his guitar. He's bringing that big ass deer that he shot. Free concert, family friendly. We're gonna start a like a meet and greet with Dustin and the deer. I I don't does the deer have a name? Ah, I don't think question. so. It should. It, maybe we'll name it. You know during the show, yeah. but. Yeah, so meet and greet six o'clock uh, with Dustin, and then seven o'clock he's gonna we're we're, we're gonna do a live interview. He's gonna play some music. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So bring be. kids, bring your wife, all that good stuff. It'll be good. It'll yeah. be a lot of fun. Uh, Food truck. It's gonna be outside. Fire bonfire. It's gonna be cool, man. It's yeah, be, Granville Brewery time. is a great place. Very cozy and uh, got some some good things on tap there. Yeah, so. check check our Instagram, check our website, check our, our Go Wild in the next couple of days. We'll have we'll have more information. But uh, love to see, see you guys there. So so speaking of Go Wild, uh, we've talked about them in the past. A good partner of ours, but they are having their Send It Slam event there July 9th in Louisville, and this is a 3D archery shoot along with country music and local food and all kinds of fun stuff uh, for the whole family. But one of the things that they've talked to us about is we're going to give away two tickets, two VIP tickets. VIP tickets. VIP tickets. Two we just got regular regular tickets. Yeah, we got those media passes. Yeah. So the, uh, <laughs> Which means nothing. Nothing. But, the uh, yeah, so we're going to give two of those away. Uh, we're going to do this a little different than the last time we had our giveaway. Um, Paul and I decided we're, well, this is how it works, okay? There's different ways you can get enter, entered in, right? So 
Uh, we'll say the maximum is you can get four entries. Okay. If you follow us on Go Wild, that's one automatically. If you follow us on Instagram, that's one. If you tag us in a post doing something outdoorsy, okay, and I don't know, could be shooting archery or whatever, uh, getting ready for the Sunday Slam, that would be a good idea. That would be a third way you can enter. And then if you share uh, one of our posts on Instagram, we'll also throw you in there. So I'll have a massive spreadsheet going uh, with all these. So following, so like if you already follow us, you're automatically you're in. entered you're in. into this into this drawing. So Yeah, so... Man, I hope I hope we don't pull one of those spam accounts off the Instagram. Oh God, one of those, those I might have hoochie mamas <laughs> on there. Uh, hey, Brittany six nine six nine, you want our you want our drawing? Come to Louisville. No, please don't. <laughs> don't. Oh God. Uh, so what's 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 worse on Instagram? Is it the is it the gun dealers like the ammo dealers, or is it like is it the the clearly photoshopped women? I just like what's the, more annoying? The guys trying to sell me custom made knives all the time. Uh, those are uh, some of those knives are pretty cool, but I, the ammo dealers. And if you're an ammo dealer listening to the show, I'm sorry to, to bash on you, but stop following everybody on Instagram. I don't want your ammo. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, it's always fun to see what it you is. get there. But um, what else we got? Thanks to uh, our buddies over at Tethered. Um, man, we talk about that every week, but we'll be getting you know, more information there. But TetheredNation.com. All your saddle hunting needs, lightweight, on the go, moving groove, good stuff. Get get it now. For Limited sure. stock. Get it now. For sure. So first light, we got first light, firstlight.com. Yep. Check it out. Love good it. stuff. Good stuff there. So what else we got? We nothing really crazy news wise in the state of Ohio. So Yeah, I was looking through here. We got free fishing. Uh Father's Day weekend. During Father's Week Father's yeah. Day weekend. So no license needed. June eighteenth and nineteenth. So that's coming up. Um, I saw something about the blue-tailed skink, which over the weekend I actually saw a blue-tailed skink. I don't um, even know what the hell. What is a blue-tailed skink? It looks like a salamander with a blue tail. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had one of the guys who worked for me at one of my golf courses swore that he saw a snake with legs. And I was like, you mean a salamander? <laughs> and he's like, no, it was a snake, dude. It looked like a snake with legs. So I don't know if that's a thing, a snake with legs. So maybe it's a skink. Maybe that's what a skink is. So yeah. what, else, what else we got? I mean, there's nothing... There's nothing pressing in in the in the state of Ohio. I mean, I guess, you know, our and and we're not going to dive down this, but I mean, our boys, you know, up in Canada had some pretty stringent gun regulations that that uh, that popped up yesterday. So I mean, be be prepared for that if you're, you know, above the border. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Oh, there's the blue-tailed skink. I just saw it. Yeah, it's definitely not a snake with legs, but it does have a blue tail. Look there at that is. thing. I think they're kind of uh, endangered-ish. Yeah, it's kind of so. cool. Follow the ODNR on Twitter. They, they, their, their Twitter game is strong. Very. I, I met the folks that run that Twitter page. It's pretty good. So Very, very. So. But. Man, besides that, Paul, I don't know what else is going on. You know what I did Turkey the other day? I, I, I sent you pictures. What did I? I shot my bow for the first time in like five years. Looked good. It was nice. It felt It felt good. Good. It felt real good. I was I was excited. I'm getting ready for that send it slam slash shooting deer with my bow again. Donate year, arrows so. to the donate to the woods. I was a little nervous. Like I, I you know, I put it like by my shed, my my bow target. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna sail this one right into my neighbor's yard. But uh no, it was all it was all good. My 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 the youngest member of the Purple Coat Mafia, she stood out there the entire time and watched me. And so she had she had like one of the 
like this little tiny arrow. And she's like, all right, I'm going to hit that arrow out of the air when you shoot it. I'm like, go ahead, try it. And she was like, she was like 10 feet from me. You know, she's trying to like hit this arrow out of, out of midair. So that's hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. Do anything else fun over the weekend? Man, I just, dude, I just, I American it up, man. Just relaxed. I, I, I worked in the yard a little bit, went to the pool, had some fun, community pool. I got a suntan or sunburn a little bit. I mean, you see my, you, you can see my, my glasses yeah. line, but, uh, yeah, the bald head kind of took took a took a beating, but no, it was good, man. I mean, it was nice, nice and relaxing. I, it was it was kind of weird because it's the first weekend that I I've not hunted since March. I mean, that's insane. So I kind I kind of missed it. I, I I did a little little trail running slash walking slash shuffling today. That was pretty cool. Nice being in the woods. Saw a baby deer. Fun. When I called fun. you and I you, I said, "What are you doing, Paul?" Oh, I'm kind of like running and walking fast through the woods. Oh, like, what the hell are you? Why are you running from something no, in the woods? No, just, or? just I, I, you know, I went to the gym this morning and I was just like, I was getting on the treadmill. I looked outside. I'm like, dude, it is so nice. Like, why, why would I come in here? Right. This, this just sounds awful. So I, I went took well, it was like a four mile run, walk, hike, sloth. Hey man, <laughs> it was fun. But it enjoyed was it. Good day to be outside. Yep. I got to do the old Murph yesterday, so that's the. Did you? I, f- I kind of figured you were getting into that. That's yeah. pretty. If you don't know what the Murph is, Google it. You can find it on Twitter, Instagram. It's the honor of a, a, a gentleman that, uh, that paid the ultimate sacrifice, one of our fallen veterans. But man, that dude must have been a bad son bitch because that. I read that guy was doing that like multiple times a week. So that exercise, and I had somebody that asked me if I would go and do it to it today with him. Oh really? And because I'm that stupid, I think Did, I might. Oh really? <laughs> Should, should I should try to do the Murph? Oh God! I'll pay so for just it. just give like just a r- quick rundown of what the Murph is. I mean, it's like it's like what you run a mile, run a mile. You do a hundred pull ups, okay? Two hundred push ups. So a hundred pull ups straight. Uh, you can break or like it can up. I spread it out over six weeks? That's a debatable topic. Okay, over okay. six weeks. Oh, yeah. Okay, that might be the world's <laughs> longest Murph. <laughs> uh, but then two hundred push ups and three hundred air squats, and you run another mile. And honestly, it's for me the worst. Worst part's always that second mile because you're just you're done. And really, you're like forty minutes into it at that point, it's. I mean, a hundred push-ups. It, I, I'm out. Two hundred push-ups. Two, no, no, sorry, pull-ups. Hundred yeah, yeah. pull-ups. My elbows would shoot out of my body like just ping ping. It'd be I, there's zero. You 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 could hold a gun to my head. And I, I could do a hundred pull-ups. So yeah, we're sick people. So. Oh, and you <laughs> wear you, you wear a, a twenty pound weighted vest. When yeah, you do it, so. yeah. Oh, good for you, man. Stupid. Um, but it is important. So, anywho, um, what do we got this week? Well, we got uh, Mitchell, Buddy Mitchell from the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast Network guy. This guy's smart, smart dude. So we are talking about food plots, putting them in, take care of them, timing. It's not too late. That's that's the the first thing. If you if you have thought about putting a food plot in, I mean, he even said like one of the best times is in fall. Those late season food plots i really took away there's like two times to plant yeah you either plant now yeah. or you plant in the fall right yeah. and it just depends what crops you're going to do and it's really no essentially i guess if you've got a big enough area it's no bigger than a, or different than a farmer who's planting his corn and soybeans right now um, if you want to use those in your food plot but then if you want to plant the other stuff the brassicas and some of that you can do that in the fall the other one now is clover right he said clover yeah clover down now but well, I think you get the clover out a little earlier. I think the he, 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 when we when we talk to him, he, like this week is your last chance to get clover in the yeah. ground, basically. So if you feel so inclined, do it. But you know, and it's one of those things. I being in the industry that we're in, 
it all is based on the weather, right? Yeah, if we get a nice little bit of rain every day, every couple of days in June, and the weather doesn't go in a complete desert. You're, you're probably going to get just about anything up and yeah. going. So it just depends on what yeah. kind of. I put a I put a hay field in for for a guy, forty acre hay field, a couple of years ago, and and he he calls me like the third week of July, and the the deal was. He bought the material. I brought my equipment, put the hayfield in, and he'd sign my, you know, he'd let me turkey hunt the next year. And it's like 95 degrees. And I tell this guy, don't till this field up. Like, I mean, you could break the soil a little bit. I get there, it's complete dust. I mean, it hasn't rained in weeks. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is, this is nothing is going to grow. It is the best-looking hayfield like on that ball. street in Licking County. I'm so proud of myself. But, yeah, but, I mean, you get the mercy of Mother Nature. So if you're if you're interested uh, in the food plots, there's a ton of research, your your county extensions. There's a ton of um, ton of information through those. Ohio State does a really nice job with uh, with some food plot stuff. So, yeah, check it out. This is a great talk. I really, really enjoyed it. Even if you're not in the mode to plant a food plot like me, I, I, you know, I hunt all public. I, I can't go out and cut a bunch of trees down and till up some dirt and, <laughs> and throw a food plot. Not going to happen. It was still a good talk. Still very, very interesting uh, to learn. So, yes. Mitchell is a wealth of knowledge, and he's right next door over there in Pennsylvania. So. He is. He he definitely is. So we've got uh, Nick Moen is going to do a quick uh, quick recap of his first tournament, our buddy, our buddy Nick. Uh, so that's uh, just a couple minutes long. Stick stick around for that or listen to that. June 24th. June 24th. Dustin Huff. And Live show. We will start the Go Wild ticket. Today? Yeah. I guess the day that you're listening to this. The day you're listening to this. When I start, do it. When I start it. posting stuff. Yep. Do it. So. But I think that's all we got. And uh, next week, fair warning, we're going to have a little bit of a different uh, podcast. It'll be fun. But, uh, yeah. It'll be, it's going to be entertaining. It'll be entertaining. You're going to be in Disneyland. You're going to be dadding it up. Yeah. Oh, what? Your kids don't know yet? No, they know. Oh, okay. So you're just like, hey, kids, we're going to drive 20 hours. <laughs> I'm not telling you why. Oh, no. They're excited. <laughs> That's going to be cool. Anywho, uh, that's all we got. So take care, everybody. Have a good week. Get outside and enjoy some of this nice weather. There you go. So Nick, Nick let us down once. What? Nick let us down. No three fish average? No three, no three fish. I mean, I, we, we, give you, we give you as much juju as we can, Nick. We're pulling like hell for you. How many fish did you catch, Nicholas Muntz? Or Nick, Nicholas Mellon, sorry. Hey, uh, whoa, okay. Um, I, I, I call zero. Zero fish. That's all right, man. I, 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 I feel your pain. I have it, zero turkeys this year. So, it, yeah, but so I know, I, I know that you've been out there. You've seen turkeys. You've actually, I think you've shot at one or two, right? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have a bite. Oh, I was on the water for what? Eight hours, eight or not a single bite. So was it, was it weather? Was it the guy in the boat ahead of you catching all the fish? What was the, what was the deal? Uh, well, the captain of the boat definitely caught a couple. He, um, he weighed in two fish, um, and he was using a frog most of the day. He had a couple blowups that he had missed on, um, but really a lot of it had to do with sort of the areas where we were fishing. We were fishing in these lily pads and we're driving back through there. And literally 
there is barely enough room for the boat to get in here. So the captain of the boat's fishing right out in front of him. And I've got basically two choices. I can take a frog and try and drop it into these holes. And these holes are probably about the size of my hand, maybe a little bit smaller. And hopefully there's a bass there, which I did most of the day. Um, or I could try and fish right off the back of the boat. We've done turn the water up. It's probably only two, two and a half feet deep. So any fish that were there as we're going through have, you know, booked it. They're, they've gone somewhere else deeper into the lily pads. So it wasn't really ideal for a uh, co-angler, um, somebody fishing from the back of the boat, but it was, uh, it was an experience. I actually, I wanted to catch at least one fish so bad that day because I was fishing uh, a style of fish. Uh, I, I was fishing a way that I've never fished before. I've never been back that deep into lily pads before. And I just, you know, and like I've told you guys before, one of my biggest things is to learn how to do it. Um, and, and I feel like I didn't learn anything because I didn't catch that one fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Maybe you learned how not to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I learned. Actually, I did. I learned a lot. I learned that I hate lily pads. I'm not going back into those things again. No. But uh, yeah, it, it's, I still do. I tell everybody, you know, a, a bad day out on the water is better than a good day at work. So I, I'm fine with it. I was still uh, out there having fun. Um, I did realize that if I'm out there not catching fish, my back hurts a lot more than if I'm catching fish. Oh, I doubt the truth. The uh, now, There is a lot of mental strain or stress. I don't know what you want to call it. When you go into some – I mean, how do you – keep yourself focused because for me it wouldn't have been eight hours it would have been about eight casts and i would have been like all right i'm done with this <laughs> pack it up let's go yeah. somewhere else next um yeah it's it's really hard to stay focused actually uh probably a good half dozen times i had sat down in the seat and took a good 15 to 20 minutes and just retied everything I had on. Like I told you before, I take six rods with me. I've got something different tied on to every single one of them. And in that area where I was, you can only do certain things. You know, you, you can only throw something that's going to float or um, something that's extremely weedless. Otherwise you're just going to get hooked up on the, the lily pads and they're thick. I mean, it's not like you're going to, throw into a lily pad and just yank it right back out. If that hook gets caught in there, you're probably going to snap your line off, you know, depending on the size line you've got. But so I, I re-rigged uh, my poles uh, probably a half a dozen times. Just to calm down and just say, you know what? I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I was trying to learn as well. Um, what I was doing wasn't working. So I said, okay, we'll try something completely different yeah. um, as well as give my back a rest. Like you said, that mental thing, my back was really aching. I was like, I was just waiting, itching to get a bite, catch a fish, just make that go away out of my mind. You know, I'm just curious, how many lures do you lose on a day like that? Um, none. Oh, look at you. <laughs> I mean, I would have lost I, uh, like at least six. <laughs> Without I used to lose lures a lot. Um, honestly, a lot of that had to do with the way I was tying them or the type of line I was using and not knowing what I 
could and couldn't do. I mean, all of my pulls, I know exactly how hard I can pull before something's going to snap. Um, that's because I'm used to the line that I use and I'm used to those rods. Um, and I, I've gotten better at tying knots. You know, I remember my first couple seasons, I, I actually hooked into a couple fish and it's just hook into it. I reel in a little bit and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. I'm like, oh, he spit it out. I, I reel it up there and it's like, wait, he didn't spit it out. I've got no lure anymore. He just robbed so, you. Is a lot of that um, knowing, you know, the, um, you know, how much pull and everything you've got in there, is that just experience on the water or do you do testing in your garage or uh, no it's all it, for me it's all experience on the water um it's not like hey, uh, hey kid hold this while i pull and see how hard i can get <laughs> um yeah no it, it's definitely all experience on the water it's just feel in my hand um at, while i'm out there like i said i i used to break stuff off all the time now i uh and, and I've changed lines once or twice, uh, probably a lot more than once or twice. I've changed the type of line I've used. Um, I use braided line on almost all of my uh, rods. Um, I have started going to a uh, fluorocarbon on a couple of them, but I, I still stick to the braided line. I'm still an amateur. I know a lot of people uh, use some other stuff. Uh, I, I, I stick to that because I know I'm not going to break off. Uh, I, I know the line's not going to fail on me. If anything breaks, it's probably the way I tied the knot or, uh, you know, I, I bumped it up against rocks a few times. It's got some phrase in that line and I should have replaced it 20 casts ago. Hey man, we've said it before. And for me, it's, it's arrows in the woods, but if you're confident with it, that's, that's what matters. So if you're there and that's what works for you, got to go with it, man. What's your what's your next tournament coming up? Um, my next tournament is uh, Tanner's Creek, the Ohio River. So we'll be launching out of uh, uh, it, the Indiana side, and it is June twenty fifth. How much? How much practice do you do? How much fishing? I mean, obviously, like work and family get get uh, you know, that that takes time, but. Will you get out? Will you go down there to Tanner's Creek and, and, and pre-fish it, or you just go in blind? Um, so I will be going in blind. Um, well, sort of. I fished Tanner's Creek twice last year. Um, and it, it it's the Ohio River. It's, it's pretty steady in the fact that it's always changing. So, you know, um, last year I fished it two days in a row. The first day – um, I was really catching a lot of fish. Um, unfortunately, most of those fish I was catching were shorts. The second day, I literally only caught one fish. The, I, I don't think I had a, another bite the rest of the day. And it, and it is. It, it changes. It depends on where you go. It depends on the, uh, the day. Um, they could be letting more water out. Uh, it could have rained the night before or whatever. It just constantly changes. Yeah. Um, but also, like you said, family, I, I don't have a lot of time to go practice like on the body of water where I'm going to be fishing. Now, I will be practicing a little bit this weekend, but not on that body of water. I've got a couple of uh, new lures coming from uh, uh, Thompson Custom Lures. 
I'm going to be trying those out uh, this weekend. Hopefully the mail gets them here in time. Uh, actually, locally, I'll be trying those out over here at Allen Creek. Um, I just want to see how they how they move in the water. And then I've got a couple other ideas. That I'm going to throw a couple things together and uh, just see what kind of reactions I can get out of them. It's a good weekend for it, man. Best best weekend of the year. So, well, good deal, man. Nick, thanks for your time. Where can people find you out online? Um, well, they can find me on uh, Facebook at the uh, Outdoor Boys, um, or they can find me, uh, just look up my name, Nick Moen, M-O-W-E-N. <clears throat> you can definitely find me on Go Wild. I know we all like that place. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, and that's about it. Uh, that's about it for social media for me. That's, a, that's enough, right? <laughs> so yeah. I, you, three fish, Nick. It's got It's going to happen. That's it. Next one. Yeah, we're Creek, gonna stop talking three, about that average fish. of fish. We're not. We're, we're not going to do it. See what happens. Total faith. Three fish coming your way, buddy. Hey Nick. Good yeah. Luck. Hey, you know I got to give a shout out to my family, man. Uh, you know my wife goes with me on all these fishing trips. Man, she's a big supporter of mine. So uh, I definitely want to make sure she's uh, 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 gets gets her gets um, the love ceremony yeah yeah what did i see i saw something the other day it was like uh, you can't kill big deer without a, a a good wife or something yeah. like that you can't catch big fish without a good wife right next so. that's definitely right i mean you know she could always tell me hey you gotta stay home you can't go fishing i mean you guys know what that feels like right oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so. absolutely it's all worth it man it's all worth it nick thanks for your time man we appreciate you yeah good luck dude hey thanks guys talk to you later What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight, you got Paul and Andrew, along with our friend to the east, Mitchell Shirk. Uh, he is the host of the Pencil- is it Pennsylvania Woodsman. Mitchell? You you got it. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah, welcome. And you want to yeah, go ahead you. and uh, introduce yourself to some of the uh, our listeners if they're not familiar with your, your podcast? Sure. Yeah, we started last year on the network. So we're we basically cycled through a full year now as the Pennsylvania Woodsman. Um, I uh, I got started with with my buddy Devon, and he, you know, life gets in the way, things change, get busier, and he he stopped uh, stopped being a part of it. But I took it over and and have been doing it ever since. It's been a fun journey. But yeah, we've uh, talk all things Pennsylvania outdoors. Um, talk things. Uh, try to keep it well rounded, but. You know a little bit about me. I uh, I'm an agronomist by trade and a whitetail fanatic at heart. So that's I guess I guess if I if you could say I had a bread and butter, that's probably what I'd say it would be. I don't think I've got it all figured out by any means, but that's what I like to talk about the most anyway. Uh, I think that's great. And like uh, like you and I have talked about when I've listened to your podcast, and I can hear, I can relate, I I understand what you're saying, and there's times you're talking about a maz appear and different active ingredients and this and that and i know there's a lot of people out there that that might be a foreign language to them it's really not that bad but um you know for for us paul and i both have been in the green industry for a while so we can we can speak that language to you a little bit um yeah i have to watch myself sometimes because i know like I'm, I'm trying to put it into layman's terms where everybody explains it and there's you know there's plenty of mentors i have that do such a good job of putting it into like a just a way of explaining it that people can understand and i sometimes i'll go back i I have to ask you guys this question do you ever listen 
back over your episodes? Every one of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So every time that I go back and then listen to myself, I was like, I, I sometimes I, as a listener, I think, like, I understand what I'm saying, but do other people? You know what we call that, Mitchell? We call that job security, right? <laughs> so uh, you'll listen next week, and we'll explain deeper. So. No, that's that's I, I I do the same thing. I listen to myself. I'm like, oh, that was that was dumb. Don't do that again. So, I guess we're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. So, so Mitchell, first first question I want to ask. I want to dive right into this 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 food plot topic. It is May 26th at the time of this. So this will probably air the first week of June. Is it too late to get a food plot in the ground in Ohio? Oh, never, not at all. Um, you got to have rain. I mean, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. We need rain. We've had plenty of rain, right? We just had a golly washer roll through about 20 <laughs> minutes ago. I guess ago, I so. got to watch what I say. So here, here's the funny thing that I go through every year. Um, you have guys that the rain needs to stop. We need to – no rain for like three to six weeks. And then the minute that the last kernel of corn or soybeans goes in the ground, then it can rain. And it's no big deal. Um, but, yeah, we, we have been – I guess you've been a little bit uh, – a little bit wetter than we have out in your neck of the woods. We've been pretty fortunate. We've been getting good flux. We were really dry in that April time frame, and that kind of prepared us for planting season. So anyway, to answer your question, you know, tonight we're, we're chatting. It's May 26th. I am planting my food plots <clears throat> a week from today or the following week. I'm shooting for first weekend in June right now for a couple reasons. Um, number one, that's when I had time. Uh, but number two, I wanted to make sure that the fall blends that I had planted last year, I wanted them to get as much growth as possible and get to anthesis. I wanted to see them, you know, flowered out as much biomass on the top of the soil as possible. So that way I could plant into them and they would lay on top and I'd get uh, a pretty high carbon to nitrogen ratio. You know, for anybody who's listening to this and doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about, when a plant matures, it's going to be a lot more strawy. I mean, like when you've got a, a young, lush, green plant that's high in nitrogen, it'll whittle away when you kill it. But when you got something that's high in carbon, uh, it transitions to that seed, lays on top of the soil surface, and that is just soil cover. It's nutrients. It's all kinds of good stuff. And I'm trying to cycle nutrients the best I can with plants. So that's another reason why I wait to when I do. So let's let's just kind of – and Andrew – jump in here whenever whenever you want but i've got i've got a lot of questions um i guess when when i'm if i'm a landowner or i've got a lease whatever it may be i have the ability to to plant a food plot on my property one how much space am i looking for or how much space do i need to make an effective to to have an effective food plot well you're asking a question that if you asked 100 different people who plant food plots you're probably going to get a different answer from every one of them and I think there's this mystique that there's a one-size-fits-all when it comes to food plots, and it really isn't. Take it from my experience, um, the, the property that I have got to tinker with the most food plots, it's a very large, monotonous oak hickory forest. And there's, there's agriculture that relates to it, but you know you gotta go a, a decent distance. It's definitely within deer that we're hunting. You know, there's uh, we get pictures of deer that get killed on ag land that we've had pictures of. But anyway, our immediate area has zero food plots. 
So from my perspective, as much as we can see a dozer or something clear out land to get food plots in the ground, we've learned that the more food that we can get on the, on the property, the better off we are. It doesn't work like that for every property, in my opinion. In fact, some properties you can get away with very little food plots. It, 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 before you start talking about why, how, all this stuff, you got to define your goals. Like, what are you trying to do on your property? That was my next you question. Know, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I see people and are here talk about people or they want to plant this because of this and this. And, and I'll be like, but what is your goal? Are, are you just doing because you say you want to plant something? What are you doing? Because at the end of the day, we're all hunters. And we're doing it for hunting. So <clears throat> it's One- kind of a weird way of going about it. But I really look at it and try to define it from my perspective my goal is to shoot a mature buck i want to shoot a mature buck hopefully with my bow every single year and how does food relate to that well i want to have as much food in the fall as possible so you know we're looking talking about june right now if you're talking about just having enough food this fall you might not have to even plant right now i'm doing something a little bit different with building soil but the the biggest thing you need to know is have your food plots locations prepared for the fall because fall is the most important right when you when oh go ahead go i just i had a funny story um one time i was listening to a podcast they were talking about uh food plots my wife was in the car and whoever it was the guy said that you know he had the minimum you could have was a food plot was was about three acres and uh, we had just bought our, our home lot, and it's three and a half acres. And she looked at me and said, does that mean our entire yard's going to be a food plot? And I'm like, not that the thought didn't cross my mind, but. Uh, well, uh, like I said, there was probably, con- and that's that's what I love about what we get to do on our podcast is we get to try to put context to everything we say. So, you know, he might have had some context to that three acre minimum or whatever, but uh, I have uh, two acres of woods I have access. Some of it I own, some of it my neighbor owns. It lets me hunt behind my house. I have a micro plot that is just designed to steer deer and have them stop for a bite to eat as they pass through my property. And in 2020, I killed a 170-inch deer, and it was on that property. So do you need three acres? to? to, to it? What is your goal? Like, what is the property? Define the property. So what are some of those definable goals that, that people have i mean is it is it antler you helping to build bone mass is it uh just as as an attractant is it uh supplementing you know forage and browse throughout the winter i mean what what are some of the definable goals that people that people have well there's so many different goals um i don't know how to answer that because everybody yeah. everybody has their own different goals and their own ultimate you know ultimate uh motive for why they do what they do and I'll just tell you mine. I, I'm not somebody who is really interested in trying to grow the biggest deer. Um, not that I don't think that's cool. I want to see a deer get as big as you possible. Who doesn't want to see a giant 170, 180, 190-inch mature deer? I mean, I am all about that. But is a 5-year-old 190-inch deer any, more, any harder to kill than a 5-year-old 130-inch deer? Well, no, I think they're mature deer. I think they're at an age class where they are the hardest to kill, and it's the, it's the king of the forest, so to speak. And I, I, that's what I put my wits against, too. I can't tell you that every, you know, 
nitty bitty detail about certain plants and times of year and the science behind it and the digestibility at this time that's not something that i'm real scooting but what i do know is if i create food plots and i am maximizing the amount of attraction and tonnage i have from the beginning of my hunting season to the end of my hunting season so here in pennsylvania october 1st is right around the start of our archery season and then we have a a flintlock muzzleloader season that goes ends right around that january 15th time so if i have as much food the most food the best food in my neighborhood in that area right there i know that i am holding deer and i'm doing all the things that i want to i'm providing attraction for daylight hunting and i'm also preventing them from going somewhere else to look for food and open them up to being vulnerable to getting killed by somebody else getting hit by a car anything like that i'm i i think doing that i don't care how small your property is if you're holding them in daylight when they're most vulnerable during hunting season you have a better chance of them getting to the next age class if that's what you're interested in so that's kind of my perspective um anything beyond that in my from my perspective is a bonus so if i'm doing something that has you know quality you know it's high protein high digestibility and that's increasing um, antler mass and all that stuff that's awesome and that's why you promote good quality habitat but my food plots are nothing more in my opinion than something to hold deer and steer deer movement into bottlenecks where i can decide am i going to kill you so what what are some of the like and I've never planted a food plot in my life. Okay. I want to. I want to preface this entire yeah, interview. Same here. Yeah, I've never. I've never done it. So this is all of these questions really come from a from a place of I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's mm-hmm. why you're here. So these like plot in a pail or or throw and grow you know, the bags you walk by in Walmart and you see them and they're you know fifty bucks for you know a third of an acre. Are those are those good? I mean, like are are those decent to buy like you just you go out and is it really as easy as just throwing it and watching it grow yeah, most of the time though most of the time it's uh there's context that's that's missed in that so if you have soil and dirt or uh, yeah soil and dirt if you have seed and soil and they touch you got water and you got sunlight it's going to grow but what's going to compete a young seedling usually other plants and weeds and then lack of sunshine and lack of water so you got to control those factors Um, you know you talked about the seed blend you buy at walmart the throw and grow i think one thing you got to keep in mind is read your seed tags before you buy any seed you know there's there's a lot of seed tags you'll read you know it's required that all bags of seed have to have what is on them so if you read something that has 30 percent 40% inert matter that's that's just space in the bag that might be seed coating that might just be whatever it it, it could be any number of things but it's 30 to 40% of that bag is not going to be something that's going to germinate and be food plot another thing too is your species you know a lot of your throw and grow type species uh, they have rye grass in there not cereal rye not not the the rye that you plant you and you see farmers combine rye grass that's the stuff it's an annual but it will keep coming back from its root system and i personally don't think that's a very good plant but it works so well on those throw and grow type seed blends because 
ryegrass kind of grows everywhere. I mean, it I germinates just quick it and you pile in my yard. Yeah. Germinates quick and you feel good about yourself. Yeah, now you're speaking my language. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the seed tag, there are some very important things to consider. Species is huge. And annual ryegrass is garbage in the lawn as well as probably in the food oh, plot, God, right? And inert matter is something that I deal with, and, and it's it's nothing, right? So if you got a 10-pound bag and 40% of it's inert, guess what? You might have six pounds of seed in there. Like, yep, that's it's not going to we it's didn't not, even talk about germ and pure live seed which right. we don't necessarily need to go into that but there's a calculation used for the the germination how much of it is pure live seed and you calculate that to figure out your seeding rate so you know if you've got a bag that plants one acre but you're you know all those things between inert matter pure live seed and germination you might actually be only getting three quarters of an acre out of that bag if that makes sense to anybody listening mitch do you guys take consideration into the the test date so in the, in the turf world, we have, uh, you know, the test date for the seed or sell-by date. And a lot of our stuff, generally, it's kind of considered after about 18 months, you start to lose germination of, of lawn grasses. What is it going to be similar in, uh, in the food plot world? Yeah, it can be. I mean, that's usually a pretty safe bet. I mean, coming from agriculture, usually any leftover seed is not being used in production anymore. So then they end up going into food plots anyway. If it's stored properly and it has a, let's say it's got a 95% germination rate, you know, it might go somewhere between 85 to 90 the next year. But I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you talk about in, in turf, you're not going to sell that. It's not going to go to production, same as, as a bean. But, I mean, it's still a viable thing to plant. It's just you might have to up your seeding rate. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So I guess when people are out looking at these mixes and stuff, if you come across something that says, you know, tested in 2014, you probably don't want to waste your money on that, right? It's some, at, at some point, you, these seeds are going to start to lose viability, and uh, you're going to end up with something that's not going to, you know, grow as well as if it was tested in 2021 or 2022 right well certainly and i mean most of the places that anybody's going to get food plot seed from they're good companies nowadays i mean the, the days of getting um scammed by cheap seed is i mean you could still that can still happen but there's a lot of good reputable seed reputable seed companies out there and you know i don't i don't think you need to be as quite as concerned okay. but you know do your do your research. I guys. just know that every once in a while I'll check tags in uh, big box stores of grass seed, and you'd be amazed what gets left on a shelf for way too long. So I don't know. Um, when wow, that's just it. And I mean, I typically don't buy from big box seed. Like when I used to, there were certain companies I've worked with, and typically because I'm paranoid, I almost always called and order it. I didn't go to a Cabela's, I didn't go to a Walmart, I didn't go anywhere that might have had that brand name seed. I always called and tried to get it from the warehouse just because I knew I was getting as fresh as possible. So where do you want to look to buy your seed? Because and then I think this is, um, if I was going to try to plant a food plot right today, I'm probably going to go to like a grain elevator or you know, a tractor supply type place. Cause I don't know better, but like in my world, I know if I was going to do grass, I'm probably not going to the big box store. I'm going to go to one of these more uh, independent distributors that do this for commercial people. So where, mm-hmm. where, where should people look? I mean, or don't do you just Google food plot stuff and order it online? Have Amazon send it to you? Well, you can do that. I mean, you, there's really an endless thing. Um, the thing I'll tell you, and I, I being in agriculture, you learn this when you take, 
a lot of the seeds that we have in production agriculture and then you put them into itty bitty small bags for a quarter acre a half acre or an acre and you sell them for food plots the price gets jacked up so you might spend 40 bucks for a bag that's going to plant a half acre but you add it up and you, you might be paying per acre three times what you're paying if you get it as agricultural seed now before i go any further with that there are seed companies out there wildlife seed companies that do their research and they will have the best palatability and quality designed for 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 the game you're hunting you know we're talking about whitetails um I'm not sponsored by anybody of these, so I don't really care. I'm just going to say what's on my mind. Whitetail Institute is one company that I know does that. I believe Real World Wildlife Seed is another one. Um, Biologic is another one. And there's there's more. There's others. Those are just ones that come to my, my head. If you're looking for, for good quality and high attraction, there are certain varieties and species that will be better. You know, if you let's... Uh, Let's just talk about soybeans, for instance. That's a hot topic, soybeans. Um, you can get a soybean from a feed mill, and it's not the same soybean that you're getting from a food plot company that's bred it. It might be a different maturity. It might be staying greener longer. It might have a little bit more energy going into leaf, leaf production than it does uh, pod production, or something, something along those lines, for an example. Um, and you might find there's more traction. But I, I, I scale back to what I was talking about in the beginning. What do you need on your property? What do you have in your area? And it's one of those things I don't know that I can answer on a podcast. But what I'll tell you is in my neck of the woods, nobody is planting food plots. So for me, we have on a the, the, the track that I'm talking about is about 280 acres. At the moment, we have between five and six acres of food plots. And by fall, we're going to double that with the work that we're doing at the moment. But you start adding up seed costs for that, it gets pretty pretty salty. So me, again, luxury that I have of getting to know people in agriculture. Um, and, and another really cool thing about eastern part of the country, northeast, is the amount of cover cropping we have. And there's a number of seed companies that deal with fall blend cover crops for soil health for agricultural purposes but a lot of them are the same species that they'll mix and put in a food plot so just to give you an example maybe you're talking fall blends that would be any kind of the brassicas radishes turnips yada 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 um any of your cereal grains rye wheat oats um you know that's just to name a few so what i have been doing is i've been going to a seed dealer they might not specialize in wildlife, but it's somebody who deals with large bulk amount of seed. And I'm going basically directly to the consumer. I'm getting it for a better price and I'm getting more seed because I'm planting a lot more acres in, in this case. So it's, that's a long answer for that, but that's, that's, that's kind of tailored to it. It's a lot easier to go down to a big box store and get a half acre bag of clover or whatever you're going to plant and roll. Right. Well, but the, with the cost of seed nowadays, it might not be uh, a bad idea to look into some of those other avenues. So you've got uh, your idea of what you're going to do, why you're going to plant it, what your goal is, that kind of stuff. Talk to us a little bit about what species of plants you're going to choose 
and why you would choose them, what were their purpose, trying to, you know, well, what I, I don't know. To me, it, it sounds like something you'd want to draw draw out from your October 1st to January 15th, so you'd have to have a mix because different things are going to mature and be ready at different times, and you don't want them to come in and wipe it all out at once. So right. what are some of the, you talk about the brassicas, but what else, what else are we mixing in a good, in a good mix? you got to figure out how much space you have. What is your deer density in your area? Do you have a high, high amount of deer, a low amount of deer? Um, what's the surrounding neighborhood like? You know, if you've got a, a ton of food in the, you know, certain parts of the year, let's say you've got mixed ag. You know, I, I think where you guys are at, you guys are kind of seeing mixed ag and, and stuff like that. You probably have, you know, more fields than you do tree lines and brush in some places, I'm assuming. Yep. But, uh, you know, if you have a situation like that, there, there's a lot of food. Do you really need to be focusing on the same species that are in crop fields right now? You should be focusing something that's a little bit more fall-based. Now, if you've got a low deer density, maybe you want to build it up. Maybe you want to try to build the herd up. And if you have the room, meaning you have enough space for food plots, um, acres I'm talking, not just, you know, your quarter acre kill plot. You know, maybe you do incorporate some some blends that are building something like a soybean, a corn, you know, summer annuals. You know, you think about summer annuals with cowpeas and sun hemp and, and things like that. Again, really hard to discuss situation by situation from my perspective where certain species fall in. But I'm going to go down the road of what I've got going on. I have a fairly high deer density and while I, I just told everybody that five to 10 acres of food plots and you hear that and you go, wow, that sounds like a lot. Trust me. They eat us out of house and home every single year. And we're trying to do everything we can to build our fertility, build up maximum groceries and try to position it as best we can, but it's tough. So, um, let, let's talk right now. We're, we're, we're talking about spring plantings. If you have the room for a spring planting, soybeans and corn, of course, are hard to beat. I mean, everybody, I think, has watched Midwest hunters sit in cut cornfields and bean fields or standing bean fields and hammer deer at certain times of the year. And there is no hiding that. It is fantastic. But you have to have enough space to get it through that. One of the biggest food plot failures I've seen is corn and soybeans being put into small plots because deer will eat those annual plants in May, June, and July, eat them down to nothing, and you're going to have a field of weeds that either you don't have any food going into the hunting season or you have to replant and start over anyway. So what serve, what, what good did you serve if you spend all that money and you have nothing to hunt over. Now you could make the argument that, well, I put all this mass on, on top of their head and, and the, the fawns had better milk to drink. Well, pardon my French, but who really gives a damn if they're on your neighbor's property and they kill them anyway? What, what, what did you accomplish in that? So, um, you made better it, with your neighbors. Thing. That's what you did. You made your neighbors happy. Yeah, exactly. If your neighbors have a better food plot program than you do, and they go over there, your neighbors say, thank you. You put the bone on their head, and I attracted them and held them and killed them. Um, and I, I see that a lot. I've seen a lot of it, – it's kind of funny, you know, 
doing the line of work I did and getting to work with a ton of growers, everybody talks hunting and, you know, talks about their food plots and I get to look at them. And it, it's, it seems sensible that a farmer who has all the high tech equipment and the capabilities of planting a corner bean food plot, why wouldn't they? But it's sometimes trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. So if you're going to be doing that, um, the next thing I wanted to kind of get into to answer your question to the full extent was one species does not do it all. You know, every plant has a growth cycle and it's going to maximize at a certain point and then it's going to, it's going to dip off. And, you know, let's, let's stay on the corn and bean tangent right now. If you can get standing grain to stay, you know, corn is usually in most of the eastern part of the country is peaking sometime in mid to late October until it ends. You know, November a lot of the time is that, that sweet money time in corn if it's standing. Soybeans are fantastic as long as they're green. When they start to turn yellow, they lose attractiveness. If you have grain standing, then it's going um, into December and January for that attraction. So between those two plants, we didn't hit the whole hunting season. So that shifts gears then to other species, and let's let's get into uh, stuff like clover, alfalfa. You know that is a fantastic early season. If there was if there was one plant I would plant, and it was the only thing I could plant, it would be clover. You know, it's that that is a diverse one. It doesn't have the capability of season long, but man, it's it's up there. But clover really does best in April, May, March, depending on your latitude. When you say it does best, when you say it does best, does it mean it's the best for them to eat, or the best to plant, it's, or the it's be- at its highest attractive point? Well, why do we ca- I mean. why do we care about it in April and May? Well, maybe you don't, and uh, that's something for you to decide why you would want to do that. I just know that that is one of the best times for that plant. It's newly it's it's growing new and everything else now it it's one of the first plants that's high in protein very digestible and any deer that are coming off of a hard winter they're going to consume that and of course it's going to start to bring them back if they had a harsh winter it's going to start to bring them back into balance where they're at um you know the higher the higher you get that or the sooner you get that the better right if you're if you're in that realm of growing deer i guess so to speak but the next best time for attractiveness and clover is kind of that sep- er, late mid-september into early october man that's that's something that's prime green when everything else from the summer is starting to dip down and get a little bit less palatable now just to clarify on that you mean so you plan it now april whatever it comes up it start it's attractive and then are you replanting it again for that September push, or is this the same plant that has now come back into favor with their palate? Great question, and I should have been a little bit more specific. Clover is a perennial. So the, the first things we were talking about were corn and soybeans, and those are annual plants. You see guys plant them every year. Annual plants shoot out of the ground quick. They got to put on as much biomass as they can, take in all the nutrients they can, produce seed, because that's all they get. They got one life. Perennials come back year after year after year. And with good maintenance, you can get them to come back for a long time. So let's say you started or you want to start a clover plot. I, I wouldn't start clover now. I think we're too late. And I'm, I'm saying this relative to 
where we are in latitude. You know, with you guys where you're at in Ohio, where I'm at in Pennsylvania, we're too late for starting. Um, we're too late for starting clover because of the soil temperature getting so warm, it's going to get out competed by a lot of the summer annual weeds. You get up into the northeastern part of the country, into the into the New England states, you could still probably get away with it, but it's cutting it close. But that perennial coming back year after year, once it's established, those are the two peaking times. You know, when everything else is not palatable, that's when it's it's most tender. So that's why I was getting out of clover. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So talk talk about fertility for these these new new food plots. If I'm just throwing out a you know <clears throat> a fairly generic food plot, do I need to fertilize it as well, or can I just throw it and watch it grow? Hey, I tell everybody this: if you're shooting from the hip, you don't have to ask me because your guess is probably as good as mine. Get a soil test; they are cheap and they tell you everything, at least from a starting point. Now. I will say there are certain aspects in soil health and quality that a soil test won't show you all the attributes, but it's a standing, it's a starting point that you need to, you need to roll with. So get a soil test, figure out what your pH is, what your lime, uh, the, how much lime you need, um, and what your phosphorus and potassium are. Those are the two macronutrients that are going to show up and your pH. Once you get those down those are the low holes in the bucket then you can start to plug up the other stuff on the soil test and all the other nutrients in that realm <clears throat> i uh had a professor in college that we were talking about this and he said if i was stranded on an island and i could only have one soil amendment to grow crops and live for the rest of my life it would be lime <laughs> like that's how important ph is so, you know, I don't care how much fertilizer you throw on. If you don't know what your pH is, you're probably wasting your money at this. And, and, and that's that's the truth. Now, Mitchell, this is something I think we're going to differ on because I know and I can't. OK, I've made this mistake before when I say most of Ohio is got a very high pH. Uh, there very are very true. There are certain parts of the state that are going to be closer to you, specifically our eastern half. We are going to have lower pHs. Um, but. A large majority of the state, basically from Route 71 west, is a very high pH. Where we're at, it's very high pH. I pull them all the time. It's not uncommon to come up with an eight uh, on your pH scale. Yeah. And explain explain what lime does to yeah. Because I don't think is lime going to be something that's beneficial at that point if you've got a, a pH of eight. No, 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 no. So that's kind of what we were talking about with the soil test. So uh, when you look at a, at a, a pH score, um, seven. On, on that scale is completely neutral. And I usually want to shoot for most of our food plots getting to a 6.0 to a 7.0. That's a pretty sufficient range. We, uh, you know, the, the lower the scale, the more acidic. The higher, the more basic. Bad things can happen the further away you get from neutral. Um, so, you know, that's a good point. That's something that it's just not secondhand knowledge, but you guys have a lot of high magnesium soils out there. And that, that really jacks that up. It was funny. We had a guy come to a soil health conference from Ohio this past summer, and he was talking about the deficiencies he was seeing in plants. And I, and he went through all these deficiencies he saw in this corn. And I said, you didn't talk about the biggest one. He goes, what's that? I said, magnesium, we have very low magnesium soils. And he goes, well, I forgot about it because we have such high magnesium soils where I'm from in Ohio. And that's one of the contributions that 
will affect your pH and make it a little bit more on the basic side sometimes. But yeah. see where your pH is at. If you're too high, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to try to put, um, you know, usually my go-to has been elemental sulfur. I haven't really run into a lot of cases in my career where I've had to reduce pH because it's not a common thing for us. I mean, the food plot that we just cleared out or we're in the process of clearing out, I took a soil test on when we started. It's a 4.1. I mean, that is acidic. That's unheard of over here, honestly. It's insane. Yeah, it is. So it's a different world. To the listeners, okay, basic ideas. You know, plants that grow well in, in lower pH or more acidic soils, things like blueberries, uh, rhododendrons. So if you've got those kind of plants growing in your yard, that's one indicator that you would have some, some lower mm-hmm. pH. But I'm, I'm with Mitchell 100%. Don't guess. Soil test, right? Uh, and in Ohio, I, I, there, are, there are many reputable labs. You can get the little test kits and take them to your house. But if you're serious about this, you need to find a lab that's going to do it. I know I'm just the one I use a lot is Spectrum Analytic. They're out of Washington Courthouse. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they will give you a food plot recommendation. Uh, you can tell them what you're trying to accomplish, and they will – tell you where you're at and a lot of times they give you recommendations on what you need to add so it'll tell you if you need to add a couple hundred pounds of lime per acre or whatever you know go 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 that route so i'm sure the local ag extensions could probably point you in the right direction oh, too. yeah absolutely you know and they're, 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 they're in every, they're in every county so and i, I hate to say it but penn, penn state's got a nice lab for they do for testing soil so <laughs> they they do, but I tell you what, all the soil tests that we take get sent to Spectrum where you just brought up. There you go. So we take I don't know how many thousand a year, and that's where they go. Did so, you yeah. did you know I used to work at I used to work in a soil lab. I would grind up the. Oh, that I would grind sound up, fun at all. I would grind up oh, the that's, samples. That's pretty dry. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> uh, man, it was like in it was like in a basement of this old church, and for eight hours a day, I would just grind up I would grind up soil samples. So it sounds like fun. Riveting. Just, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, we've got, let's, I'm going to, I want to give you um, an example of, of a place that I might know where I could grow a food plot. So let's just say it's surrounded by like lots of corn and soybeans mm-hmm. where the deer are going to spend a lot of their time, spring, summer, early fall. And now I want to bring them in. Okay. So I'm going to need yeah. something that. Uh, you know, once the corn's off and the beans are off, we're talking over here late October through January or through December, our season usually goes into February, but, um, what kind of plants would I be looking for? Uh, is this the brassica time and that kind of, kind of thing? Something's going to stick around in the cooler weather. Great question. So, um, first thing I'm going to, I'm going to call out before I get into the species is, at this moment in time, we're not considering anything with the surrounding native habitat, the surrounding cover, the woodlots, and we're also not going to be talking about or considering any of the surrounding hunting pressure when we're talking about this because those have major effects on what's going to dictate success this fall. We're just talking about the plants and, and when plants are peaking for attraction and then all the other stuff you have to also take into consideration for a successful fall. But, but you know, we, we, were, we were flirting with it with a couple species. So you said uh, pretty good mix of corn and soybeans. I'm assuming that sometime between the second half of October into the beginning of November, 100% of that is gone from the landscape is my assumption. So you've got to have something that fills that gap. 
if you have enough acres that you can plant a corner soybean plot and let it stand, we already talked about the timing of the year when that would be beneficial, but we still have a lot of other season or time frames in the season we can capitalize on. Clover can handle the beginning half of it. That's part of your food plot program. When you start talking about planting annual plants, and we already talked about that, you start talking about annual plants from July, August timeframe of, of when you plant them. It's hard to beat late planted soybeans, cow peas, Austrian winter peas, and those are things that will stay highly attractive up until the first frost. Now, generally for where I'm at, that's somewhere around the second week, third week of October. So that's handling some of that beginning portion of my season. Um, if you have part of the brassica thing, um, brassicas, you know, people get confused a lot with brassicas really are. The rapes, kales, um, canolas, turnips, radishes, um, those are all forms of brassicas. They all have slightly different qualities but when you talk about just gener generic brassica they typically peak a little bit after that from my from my experience we see brassicas really pick up mid-october and they'll go as long as they exist i mean they're one of the things that when they're gone they're gone the deer kind of hammer them but uh, you know i, I kind of see a trend going with those first few legume plants that we discussed transitioning over to the brassicas and the last thing that i typically like to incorporate is cereal grains um, generally i'm looking at rye cereal rye or wheat uh, you can use triticale which is just a hybrid plant but those cereals um, rye will I, i've heard all kinds of different figures and i'm not sure what the correcting but when soil temperatures get as low as somewhere between like 37 and 40 degrees it's still actively growing so if it's actively growing that means it's taking nutrients from the roots and it's pushing it into the green part of the plant which is what the deer consume so it's an attractive source later and i've seen deer eat wheat rye and certain times early parts of the year depending on what food availability there is but when you look at it from that perspective perspective we have a species on your property peaking at a different time throughout the hunting season however that's all on your property the deer can relate to your property with all those different species that's exactly what i was looking for so um and i think about i mean this is for i mean i'm just thinking about my backyard but like the uh, a lot of ohio's like that you know it's corn soybeans corn soybeans corn soybeans and i think a lot of people end up with you know They've got this little plot, but they want to bring them in after things have been harvested and 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 whatnot. So, um, I guess my next question is: All right, so you've picked out. Oh, hold on, back up one one thing real quick. Those those ones we're going to look at for the late seasons. Uh, plant. Are you going to plant those in the fall? Then you're not planting those now, right? Um, the stuff that you're planting for for late, if you're thinking late season standing grain, that goes in right now. I, we I think we did bring that up earlier, but mm. um, that's the stuff you're planting now. And, and typically, you know, if you're listening to this and you have any experience food plotting, you know that if you're a beginner, I don't I don't care what your property is, don't start with corn and soybeans. If you're a beginner food plotter, I mean they're they're a very high investment cost. They are 
generally one of the most difficult to get started from the perspective of equipment that you have available. And even if you have somebody plant them for you, they still take some maintenance. And I've just seen too many failures that I, I just recommend start kind of at that T-ball level, if so to speak. Um, if, if you want to plant a food plot this year, uh, I recommend you plant a fall blend and annual, you know, let, let's, let's talk about waiting until late July, early August, maybe even into the beginning of September and, uh, and planting a fall blend, then it's going to be a lot better experience for you. But if we're talking about incorporating corn and soybeans and having standing green for that late season, we're doing that now. We got to be prepared for that now. Gotcha. Okay, so you picked out your your whether you're gonna plant now or later, but you picked out your your size, your purpose, your goal, the plants you're gonna use, that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the equipment and what the actual process looks like. Because as Paul was referring to earlier, this idea just throw go. You've gotten your soil test; that's already done. Uh, what are what do we need to get going? Am I just gonna take my little rototiller out there and uh, start going away, or do we need to round it up, or what what's going on? You can. I've seen some crazy, crazy stuff. Like I said earlier, if you have uh, seed, touched soil, it gets rain, and it gets sun, it will probably grow. I'm not telling it's going to grow great, but it's probably going to grow. Um, so one thing I usually shoot for is whatever the size of the seed, usually figure five times the size of the seed is around a, a good starting point for the depth you want those seeds. So when you're thinking about planting a fall blend, like I was just saying earlier, uh, if you want to plant something with brassicas, brassicas are pretty small seed. And that is a, a blend that if you get it to touch the soil surface and get some water on there, we have, a, have you know, a good following rain, you can have a really, really good brassica plot and you don't need a lot of equipment. So from my perspective if i was going to be i i I do a little bit of everything i do stuff poor man style depending on where i'm doing it and then i also have now transitioned to running a 75 horse tractor with a seven foot drill and i i i I play farmer and it's really fun but um i uh i i if i was going to go the poor man route and i was going to do as much acres as possible with the, the, the least amount of equipment I would have a good quality sprayer whether that is whether you have an ATV UTV or you're just using something on your back I would have a good quality sprayer <clears throat> and if you have an ATV which a, a lot of private landowners do I think the the next most important thing that I would have is a packer or something to you know get good seed to soil contact whether that's something you drag over the top of the seed after it's broadcasted cult packing is ultimately the best seed to soil contact method um, arguably but it, it it really is and you can come up with a food plot program where you're broadcasting seed you're spraying the non-desirable plants all the weeds dead and you're helping by packing that seed with a cold packer and letting the rest go up to mother nature. So how do you, I mean, 
you you know you can go out and identify the weeds and different things but how does a, an average person who might not have a great knowledge of herbicides and and the plants that they're trying to take out and i mean what how do you go about uh helping somebody with that or making recommendations yeah that's a good question so again depends on what the species we're talking about but let, let's just let's just stick on this fall blend for a second let's say you're going to be planting something like winter peas cereal grains brassicas something along those lines with the timing that we talked about planting july and august if you you know that's the time of year where all those summer annuals that we talked about germinating now pigweeds ragweeds um you know certain types of grasses lambs quarter yada yada the list goes on they're getting to the end of their life cycle and you're not going to have new vigorous summer annual weeds growing so pretty much all that you need to know is if you can spray it dead and i typically use glyphosate I'm not anti-glyphosate. It is a tool. Use it appropriately. But if you, you can use glyphosate, it is a non-selective herbicide. And if you use that close to planting, number one, it's going to kill all the competition. And number two, it doesn't hurt the seed. You, know, you can spray and plant the same day, and you're not going to have any issues, so to speak, with your seed coming up. If, if your seed doesn't come up or, or something happened, it was not the glyphosate's fault. There's, there's, it's a soil neutral herbicide. Nothing happens with it. But you know, you talked about identifying plants. I can't tell you any better way to learn plants than to get out and just start looking and and using. Buy, there's so many good books. Uh, I just had a conversation with John Teeter on the Whitetail Landscapes podcast, and we talked about the early succession and food plots book that Dr. Craig Harper has. That is probably one of the best documents or, or pieces of literature anybody that's interested in early succession habitat, whitetail, you know, habitat management, food plots. That is an encyclopedia for you. What was the name but, of that you one? Know, what was the name of that book again? Oh, you're going to quote me the specific name. I don't remember. I just know it's, it's something the author- along the lines of early succession plants and food plots by dr craig harper something like if you would google that it would pop up because it's a very well-known document but that is a that's a wealth of knowledge but the second thing is we got these handy dandy smartphones which i think are a pain in my ass most of the time (laughs) but uh i mean there's all kinds of apps leaf snap um is the one that i have on my phone but there's so many others you take a picture of it and it'll give you this best guess of what the plant is. I mean, that's a great starting point as far as learning species. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think that, that one thing you talked there about the, the glyphosate, um, being, which is roundup for, yeah. for the roundup. Yeah, yes. yeah. Not being, that's what everybody knows it as. Right. Yeah. It's not soil active. That's a very common misperception. Like when you can spray that and seed on the same day, it's not going to inhibit things. So, I mean, I think just just a word of caution: if you if you walk through wet Roundup and you walk onto something that you don't want to die, it will die. That is so true. Just like like you said, be cautious. It's a tool. And because I always have to say this, the label is the law. So <laughs> whatever it says on that label, that is the law, and and you guys are uh, responsible to follow that. So, um, good stuff. People should know. And and another thing: you go spray your food plots, and then 
drive your four-wheeler into your yard, watch yourself because it can happen off your oh, tires yeah. too. Yep, very much so. Once the seed's in the ground, Mitchell, like uh, what's the germination time on some of this stuff? I mean, we'll talk – well, I mean, what is – you said soil, sunlight, water. You know, it's ready to go. It's going to come up. But what kind of timing are we – you know, you put it down September 1st. Is it going to look like a jungle out there by October 1st? Or I mean, we're talking that, that later uh, winter uh, planting. If it's not but. starting to look thick and lush – October 1st, if you planted September 1st, I'm starting to wonder what that, what's wrong with it. Um, it, it. Assuming that we have an annual plant, something that grows very fast. Again, that's your cereals, your brassicas, your peas, stuff like that. Um, I expect germination that time of year with, with warm summer days and, and ample rain. I expect germination from from brassicas especially in in three four days i mean i would expect germination start to really take off if you're planting perennials clovers alfalfas chicories they take longer perennials take a significantly longer amount of time to get established and get that root well into the ground and, and and take off and it's kind of aggravating to watch them and that's why timing is important you can plant clovers in september but what I suggest for your clover is put a nurse crop of oats. You know, whatever your recommended clover seeding rate is on the bag that you buy, I recommend add 25 pounds or so per acre of oats. Oats are a great nurse crop, and they'll also provide you a little bit of extra annual, you know, quick food, so to speak, as that clover starts to establish. So that's kind of the timeline I'm looking at. Very good. So I guess, you know, and just kind of recap and everything we've covered, which is a lot, but uh, annual stuff, that's that's plants we're going to do every year. Perennials, you can do them um, well, once, essentially, but then and they'll come back each year. Now, the one thing about that, though, you got to be careful. Um, if you were to plant clover and you expect it to come back every year, but you go out and you spray it with 2,4-D or Roundup, guess what? It's not coming back, right? Right. Um, so you got to be careful with, with your herbicides, um, read, read the label back to the label thing. Uh, all that kind of stuff. I guess the only word of, you know, from my perspective for people to consider, if you've done this in the past, I'm going to warn you this year, just like most things in life, uh, fertilizer is way more expensive. Uh, glyphosate is way more expensive. Some seeds are very hard to come by, at least in my world. I don't know about over okay. in the ag world, but like, be ready for it okay and and if sometimes i mean if you can if you need glyphosate and you can find it that might be you, you buy it right because there's times where it's not so easy to come by um is there anything else that we're missing uh outside of that that people need to be aware of when they're out shopping and starting to put their pieces together well just to give you perspective i'm seeing two and a half to three times the cost in fertilizer this year of what it was last year one year ago and glyphosate roundup is about double now most of the other herbicides that you might use and we didn't talk about herbicides and that might even be a whole nother podcast i'll gladly talk herbicides for anything you guys have questions on but um most of the herbicides have stayed relatively consistent it's just glyphosate there's a whole bunch of things that happened that caused the price of glyphosate to go up. That's even gone up almost two and a half times what I what I've 
been expecting from last year to this year. So it is kind of a shell shock. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tool, but there, there are ways you can reduce your chemical loading and your fertilizer loading if you do certain food plot practices. And that's kind of more of that food plots, you know, two or 300 level class kind of the you know, conversation we're having today. Food plots two hundred and three. I kind of like that idea. I, I think do like uh, that. we might have to have that conversation. <laughs> I, I, I so. do. I do like that. Paul, you got anything else? So, just real quick, and we'll and we'll wrap this up. And Mitch, thanks for your time. If someone wants to start researching putting in a food plot, where's a good spot that they can go to? Good, good, good resource on the internet. Oh man! Because that you know, book that you just mentioned, I looked it up on Amazon. It's a hundred and fifty dollars. That's because it's quality. Yeah, Seriously. it's good. Yeah, it, I'm it sure is. it is. But I mean, you it, know. it is like, you know, that would be a fantastic place for for a resource, in my opinion. Um, you know, there there is so much food plot information out there. There's actually too much, in, in my opinion. I, I think there's there's people putting stuff out there because, you know, they want to and there's nothing wrong with that, but you got to take good context from it and make sure that you're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole with your food plots. Um, I, I'll say that the National Deer Association is a fantastic place to look for food plot information. Um, they, they do have a lot of great intro beginner, you know, how to's, uh, whether that's a video, an article, you know, the other thing I'll, I'll shout out and I'm going to, I'm going to say is sportsman's empire has a lot of great guys come on and talk about, you know, you know podcasts on this network, I, I think are good. You know, I'm going to throw out, um, I'll throw out John Teeter real quick. He's on our network, but I mean, you, you think about all the shows that we have on here, guys, there's a lot of very well-known prominent, um, wildlife managers and hunters. And then there's us are really good at food plots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's us, right? So uh, me and Paul. There's all you guys that know what you're doing, and then there's me and Paul. So knuckleheads. Oh, uh, you guys know a lot more than you claim to. <laughs> Mitch, where can people find you online? Um, yeah. So again, you can find us on the network. Obviously, we're Pennsylvania Woodsmen, and I'm I'm trying to do better all the time with Instagram and Facebook, but we are. Oh my gosh, how terrible is that? I can't even remember what my handle is. It's either at PA Woodsman Podcast or at Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, your is. your videos lately have been awesome. Uh, you've been doing a good job of posting, you know, these these plants and stuff coming up as, as time goes on, and and it's been fun to follow. Well, thanks. So I hope I hope somebody gathers something from it. Like I said, a lot of it's, you know, I, I posted one today, and it was uh, one of my clients. He was planting corn through uh, a cover crop that he planted in the fall. The cover crop consisted of wheat, annual ryegrass, and crimson clover. And the stuff was about knee high on me. It was pretty thick. And uh, then he had this big, awesome 16-row Kinsey corn planter rolling through with the, I don't know how many horsepower tractor dually. And it's like, how can you not gawk over big equipment? It's just freaking awesome. But... uh, you know, the the concept of what he was doing with as far as soil health and covering, like you can mimic a lot of what farmers do in your food plots. You just it, it takes some learning, some tinkering, some asking questions and then just some some blood, sweat and tears to kind of learn the process. 
Well, this has been great. Yeah, I learned yeah, a lot. Yeah, it has. So. Mitch, thanks for your time, man. Good, good luck. Good growing season. Good deer season. I hope it's just uh, sunshine and time. You know, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Mitch. Take care.